Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're winding this study down, which we started, I think, in February of this year. But it really is what God laid upon my heart for the focus of this church at this time. Because in these scriptures, which we're not going to read all of them this morning, but in these scriptures are contained really what God wants us to do and wants for us. They're so rich. There's a pattern in here. There's so many different elements that can come off of this, which we've been looking at, all the way from how we see ourselves as we're part of one body together. We started out by looking at the fact that in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul starts out by talking who we are in Christ. Just, you need to go back and read that periodically just to see who you are in God's eyes so that you can begin to renew your mind to see who you, so that you can begin to see yourself as God sees you. And then we began to look at God only sees, not only sees us individually as his children and as, these are the things that he has done for us and given to us, but we also saw that we are one body and there is one spirit, there is one God and there is one Lord, that we are all one with him and one with each other. That as we begin to change literally how we see each other and the church together, it will change how we respond to each other and why we come to church. We're learning as part of growing up, which is what this is all about, is learning that we don't just come to church for what we get out of it. That's a spectator mentality. We come to church because of what we have to contribute. First of all, to Him. That's what praise and worship is for. That's His time. Praise and worship, I believe God waits all week for that. Just to hear from His children. To hear their love and their devotion by song. It's a time we have to give to Him who has given everything to us. And then as we do that, it opens us up and you, you can never outgive God. And as you give your heart and your love and devotion to Him, you open your heart so that by the ministry of the Word and by the Spirit, God can pour into you His life and His love and His grace and His deliverance and whatever it is you need. Church is a wonderful time of exchange between God and His children, between a father and His children. But also part of that is the way we relate to one another. So we spend time going over all that. And then we begin to look in verse 11, which talks about, begins to talk about the gifts that God's given to the church for that purpose. And there are five gifts that are listed there. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We saw that they are given to the church for the purpose of equipping us, all of us, the saints. The word equip, we looked at what that means. It means to, to give you the, literally the equipment that you need, but also to mend and to heal and to make whole and to strengthen so that you're prepared to do what you've been made to do. To, to minister the saints, to equip the saints so that all of us can do the work of the ministry. And we spent a number of weeks talking about the work and talking about what ministry means in the Bible. It's not a profession. It is the word that literally means a service. It's to serve one another. It literally means table waiter. And we saw then that we went through some of these, these, these callings and what they are. We saw different, from different scriptures different gifts that God says in his word he's given to us. You have a gift from God to be used for the benefit of the body of Christ and for the body of Christ to reach the world, which is what we're here for. And we spent a lot of time studying all this. And now we're beginning to wind this up by the focus of where this is all, how this now speaks back to me. What am I to do as a consequence of it? Because Paul's pattern is always, he'll tell you, this is who you are. He'll tell you, this is what's been given to you. But he'll always end up with, all right, now here is what you're to do with this. This is what God is requiring of us. Because the gospel not only talks about what God's done for us, but it also talks about God, what God requires of us. He doesn't require it of us as a mean, hard taskmaster, as the Egyptians served under in Egypt. 
but he requires it of us as a father does of his children. Because when a father requires things of its children, it's always so that they will grow up and mature and take their place. Because the goal of maturing is to accept the responsibility that's been given to you as a, as a, as a son of, of your father or as a child of the living God. So that we can participate, we can be about our father's business. It's really that simple. It's to grow up and mature so that we can ta- be taken into the fa- our father's business and do what's on his heart and what matters to him. And that's why we've been studying this, and that's why we've been taking a lot of time to go through it, because to change how you see yourself, for a church to change how it sees itself, takes time, and it takes studying God's word. And the method that God has chosen, whether our, whether our uh, theologians today agree with it, whether our higher schools of education agree with it or not, God has declared that the method by which we grow is the preaching of the word, the method by which we change how we see ourselves, the method. My main responsibility as a shepherd is to feed the sheep because if I'll feed the sheep what he wants to be, you to be fed, then the Spirit of God will take that and cause you, us to grow and grow together as he sees fit. And he's the one in charge. It's his church. We belong to him. So Ephesians chapter uh, 4, we're going to start now down in verse... Oh, let's go to... Well, let's go down to verse 13. Because we're talking today about... We're going to continue the story, the, the message today on how God's designed for us to grow. What do we do so that we can grow and mature? Verse 13. Ephesians 4.13. Until we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect... That word means mature man... And then he tells us in the rest of that verse what that standard of maturity is to God, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God's work in you, God's goal in you, is that you would grow and mature. God's goal for Faith Christian Center is that we would grow and mature to the place that we come literally unto the fullness of the stature of Christ. But that makes sense when you realize we're his body. So what he means here is that we grow to the place where we talk like he talks, we think like he thinks, and we act like he acts. And that's the measure of it, is we're to grow to be just exactly like Jesus. But that shouldn't be too shocking when you realize the Bible teaches us that we are sons and daughters of the living God, and after all, what is Jesus? He's the son and daughter. Now, he is the head of the church, but we are his body. So we are being challenged to grow up and mature so that we act and respond and we work like he does. And his whole purpose of his life was to carry out his Father's will. In order to do that, we go into verse 14 that says that we should no longer be children. That implies we've been children. So we're leaving childhood stage and we're growing into the stage of a young adult or of an adult that we should no longer be children. Here's one of the beginnings, and we've talked about this before. Tossed up to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. So he spends some time looking at childishness. Some of the marks of childishness, the main mark of childishness is selfishness and self-centeredness. My whole life is based around me, what I'm getting, what happens to me, how does it affect me, what do I like, is this pleasing to me, does it not please me, how do I love you if you do things that, that bless me? And we see if we look, and we did, we looked in, in, in Matthew's gospel, we saw in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said we're not to be like that. The, the, the Gentile treat other people on the basis of how they treat you. It says, 
when you just love people that love you, you're just like the world, which means we're not like Jesus. Because Jesus loves people that don't love him. That's how we got into the body of Christ. Because he loved us people that didn't love him back. He gave when he didn't get anything back because he was like his father. And the key verse in there is in Matthew 6, I think it's in 6, that says, says, be like your father who is in heaven. So God's challenging us to grow and mature. And if you just spend some time in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, you'll get an idea of what Jesus' character is really like and what our character is growing into. And that's why God, what God is at work in you to do. So we're no longer to be children. We talked about it. It means childishness. It means self-centeredness. It means children were skitterish. They, they, they have trouble staying focused. And so it talks about not being carried about by every wind of doctrine, being easily moved. See, a child is led by how they feel and what things look like. An adult is led by what's right and what's truth. A child is led by how things affect them. An adult is led by how it carries out what they're here to do. So an adult is able to eat things that may not taste good, or as a child struggles and is repelled by those things. An adult is able to accept responsibility they don't necessarily want and don't particularly enjoy, but they do it because they've been given it to do. Whereas a child does what they want to do and what feels good. And so we're in that process of growing and maturing. And you can be further along in one area of your life than you are in another area of your life. But we are all in the process of growing. All right, let's move on. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into the head who is Christ. Now, we stopped there last week and we began to look. Okay, I now realize that God's not going to leave me alone. He's going to keep after me and working me until I begin to grow up or until I grow up. And we saw that the process of growing up begins with accepting that that's that responsibility, that I am to grow up. You have to agree to grow up. Otherwise... God will keep after you and 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 after you. He'll use circumstances in your life. He may not cause a circumstance, but he'll take every opportunity that you give him to work with you and to challenge you until you accept the fact, I need to grow up. And I shared with you last week how humbling it was a few years ago when I was like 62, I think it was, and I had to face the things in my life. God, I come to you as a 62-year-old, and these are areas of my life where I need to grow up. But you're my father. And so I submit to you as a son that needs to grow up in some areas. Help me, teach me, challenge me, instruct me. And boy, has he been doing it. And so we began to look last week at how do we grow up? What is this process? And we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 that it is, by the, it is the milk of the word, that we grow by the milk of the word. God's word is the vehicle that God's given to us. Just as your physical body grows, there's a direct parallel in the Bible between your physical growth and your physical maturity and your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity. And the way your body grows physically, the most important thing it has to have is food. That's why a baby's instinct is to do nothing other than eat. That's all they need to do to survive is to eat And that's all they do. They eat, they sleep, and process what they've eaten. And that's how they grow. But there comes a stage when they need to do more than eat. And then there comes a stage when what they eat, and we saw this in Hebrews chapter 5, where the the writer of Hebrews says, by this time in your growth, by virtue of age, as, as a Christian, you should be instructing other people. But you've not matured spiritually to the level that you should have, so you've got to go back and drink the milk of the word 
and not eat the meat of it, which tells us that there's the milk of the word, but there's also a food that the word is that's like meat. And we talked about the fact last week that milk is that part of the word that goes down easily. It's easy to swallow. And that's essentially all the things that God's done for you. Because things that somebody wants to do for you are easy to swallow. Someone comes up to you and says, you know, here's, I've got $100. I just believe God's told me to give you $100. You don't have to argue with them about that. Yeah, I believe, thank you. I'll receive that. That's good, yeah. Okay, is that all? I mean, that's easily received. But it's when somebody requires something of you that you don't want to do, that's when it's not so easily received. So we saw that the milk of the word that Hebrews 5 talks about is that which is easily swallowed. But then there's the meat of the word. And some people believe the meat of the word is the deep, strong, private revelation that God gives us. The meat of the word. All meat is is food that's hard to chew and swallow. There's a part of this word that's hard to swallow. Where, for instance, Jesus said, I came with a sword to divide families. And because of me, some children are going to hate their parents. And some in-laws are going to hate their outlaws. Does that mean Jesus came and he loves to divide? No. But what it means is, in making the choice to put him first, some people in your family may not make that same choice. And that will cause a division. And there are a number of you in this congregation this morning that have experienced that. But what he's saying is, when you put me first, it requires other choices that sometimes are hard. Some of you found out when you came to Christ that changed your relationship with all your other friends and who didn't follow you into the decision to follow Christ. And now you don't have the same relationship with Him. So there's some things about following Him that are not easy. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus began to say some very difficult things. And what happened is He had a huge crowd. I mean, He had enough to start a huge church. And then He starts saying things that are hard to receive because they were the meat of the Word. And people start leaving Him. And he has to turn to his own disciples and say, are you going to leave me too? And they looked at him and said, we don't know where else to go because only you have the words of life. So Jesus said some things that were hard to swallow. And that's the meat of the word. But that's what causes you to grow to maturity. If you're 22 years of age and you're still drinking mother's milk, you're going to be pretty anemic. You've got to have been eating food, solid food by then. So we've seen that it is the Word of God. It is taking the Word of God into yourself. It is eating the Word, literally eating the Word, not just reading it, but taking it and being able to become part of yourself. That's what Jesus meant in John chapter 6 when he said those difficult things. He says, in order to be my disciple, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And they thought he was being, talking about cannibalism. In fact, the early church were considered to be cannibals because they talked a lot. They thought that the communion, which we're going to celebrate today, they thought the communion was literally eating blood, or eating body and drinking his blood somehow. But no, what does he mean by that? Because you can't physically eat his body. We can eat bread today, which represents his body, and we can drink the fruit of the vine, which represents his blood. But what he meant was when you eat something, what happens to it? Oh, come on, you all know this. It becomes part of you. 
And the more you eat, the more of you you have. You're looking at me as if like you don't understand what I'm talking about. Diet. <laughs> and what he's talking about is we have to take him into us to the degree that he becomes part of us. And, and he's talking about his word. When you eat his word, it's, it's not just reading it, it's you absorb it. You allow it to become part of you. So it's not just reading it, it's meditating on it. It's chewing it over and over. When you find a passage that's difficult to understand, don't skip it. Read it again and again and again. And ask the Holy Spirit, who you lives in you, if you're a Christian, He lives in you, and guess what? He wrote it. He's the author of you got the author of the book inside of you. And when you run across something you don't understand, ask the author what it means. Almost every insight I've gotten into God's Word. There are a number of them I've gotten by reading other people's writings. But most of them have come by reading it myself and asking the Spirit of God, what does it mean? I don't always get the answer immediately. I may get it later on when I'm shaving. I may get it sometime when I'm praying the Spirit. I saw something this morning on verses I have read and meditated on for years, and I was praying this morning for this evening's healing service, and I saw something in there I've never seen before. The Spirit of God just opened my eyes to it, and I went, wow! I don't know why I never saw that before. It becomes part of you. And that's when you begin to grow. So it requires reading it. It requires meditating on it. Meditating on it, the word meditate literally means to mutter, to talk it over and over and over in yourself. There are times I'll wake up in the middle of the night, there's just certain scriptures. I'll just start going over in my mind. I'll go over in my mind. I'll go over in my mind. I'll go over in my mind. And you know what eventually happens? It goes from being up here and drops those 18 inches down into your heart. Because Jesus said... If you, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, and believe in your heart that God saved you, the raising from the dead, you shall be saved. And we looked last week at that process. I, no, I forgot when, because Wednesday night and Sunday night are beginning to cross over right now in what we're studying. We talked on Wednesday night about what, what we're going to talk about today, about, about how you exercise your faith. And that's how you got saved, because you believed something in your heart. Lots of people, that believe, in fact, we've seen scriptures where Jesus, where, where the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. They believe in God. And they shudder at his presence. That's more than most Christians. They believe in God, but they don't act on what they believe. So we chew on the word, we meditate on the word, we roll the word around our mouth, and then we begin to speak the word. And that's the beginning, and that's where we left off last week. Then there's a second step, which is what we're going to look at today. There's a second step in this process. We looked at how the word works last week, and we saw that all you've got to do is put it in you. We looked at Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 4, which was the parable of the sower, where Jesus just said the word is the seed, and you sow the seed, and it will grow. We looked further on in that chapter where he talks about the farmer. All the farmer does is sow the seed. He doesn't know how it grows. He doesn't know how it germinates. He doesn't need to understand. All he needs is to do it. Sow the seed, water the seed, fertilize the seed, and it will grow. 
And God's word is like that in your heart. Sow the word. Sow the word. Plant the word. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Over and over and over and over and over again. It is your spiritual food. It is your spiritual food. And most of us, and I'm not looking at anybody, most of us Christians in the United States are expert at feeding our natural body. And we wouldn't think of going through a day without feeding this natural body. But what do we do with our spirit man and realize this natural body is only your temporary dwelling place? You're only going to be in it for 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 90 if you really do well. But your inner man, you're going to live with forever. And you understand that when you leave this body and you go to heaven, you don't stop growing. So what you, the stage of maturity you have when you leave this body is where you pick up, I believe, in heaven when you get there. And the more you do with it here determines the responsibilities and the things God's going to have for you there. We've took a look at scriptures that say that. So today we're going to look at the next step, which is what we do with that word. Let's go to James chapter 1. Very familiar verses. We may not get this finished, but we'll get it started today. James chapter 1. Now, Hebrews, the positioning of James is just wonderful. Hebrews ends up talking about faith. James, which is the next chapter, next book, begins by talking about counted all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So he talks about the fact that your faith will be tested. Now let's go over to verse 19. So then, brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Most of us have that in reverse. Most of us are very quick to speak and we're very slow to hear. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. Oh, this is good and slow to wrath. I'm almost tempted to camp there. That's another thing I haven't seen quite that way before. Notice the pattern. If you're swift, quick to hear. Quick doesn't just mean fast. It means you're sensitive. It means that's your focus. You're ready. Quick means ready. You're ready to hear, and then ready to speak. Then you'll be slow to wrath. Most of us are quick and ready to speak and very slow to hear, and the result is we're very quick to wrath. We react to situations. I learned a long time ago, maybe it was part of it was my legal training, is to not react quickly. Now, there's sometimes you need to. An 18-wheeler is bearing down on you, and you found you pulled out of the side street a little too fast, you better react quickly. But that's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Something comes against you. Somebody says something, some circumstance, something you were never expecting to happen just explodes in your face. You get an unexpected bill. You get an unexpected diagnosis. Whatever happens to you, and now you have a choice 
of how you're going to, whether you're going to react to it or respond to it. They're two very different things. A reaction is when you lose control of what you're saying and doing. It doesn't process through your mind and through your heart. You just react to what somebody says or someone does. A response is when you take what somebody says or does and you choose the correct way to answer or handle it. There's a big difference between reacting. When you react, the other person's in control. When you respond, you're in control and you give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to direct your response. And notice the pattern here. If you're quick, ready to hear, and then you're quick to speak, you'll be slow to wrath. And then you're slow to react. You're quick to hear, and you're slow to speak. Careful about speaking. Because, you know, once you say the words, you can't take them back. Once they're out there, that's not just true. In human relationships, there's a spiritual principle of what you say when you release words into the atmosphere. So the next time you're feeling sorry for yourself and you just let your mouth run, understand you're re- authorizing demonic forces to act. Because yeah, right. angels listen to your words and demons listen to your words. Because you understand that God gave man the authority in the earth. He gave it to Satan and Jesus came to buy it back for those that are in him. And so... Angels need your authorization to work and demons need your authorization to work. And all they need to do is listen to you and when you let your mouth run, you've authorized them to do what they've been wanting to do. Be very careful. Not afraid. Be cautious. Careful. Just speak as if your words would have effect. That's all. Just speak. Before you speak, think of what you're saying and realizing those words go into the spiritual atmosphere around you and just decide whether that's what you want to happen. And as a result, we'll grow. See, this is part of maturing, is being quick to hear, slow to speak, and the result is we'll be slow to wrath. That's just free. That's not part of the message. That's Maybe I better get off that. All right. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow or excess of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. This is the food we've studied. Receive with meekness the implanted word. By the way, you can't receive it without meekness. Meekness means, meekness means nothing more than I recognize what, who I am and who God is. It means I recognize what I can do on my own and how much I need God. And see, when my attitude is, I know what I'm doing, because I've talked to people like that. I was a lawyer, I did that. I had a people come in my office. I, couldn't, I, was, I still today can't understand this. Come in my office, sit down, and that firm's charging them almost $300 an hour for my advice, and they tell me what to do. I don't mean just what they want. They tell me what the law is. And I'm thinking, then why did you come here? And what I realize is I can't tell them anything. I can't help them. I've seen that as a pastor sometimes. People come in and sit down, and they'll start talking and 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 talking. 
and, 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 and it's as if they're there because I'm going to be a sounding board. They're not there for, for, for my counsel as their pastor. They're just there to talk to me. And so they do all the talking, and I do all the listening. And that's fine. But sometimes people have an idea. They already know what the problem is. They know what they need, and, and, and that's not meekness. Meekness says, I need help. I need something because I understand I don't have what I need. And when we come to the word with meekness, then we're able to receive it. Meekness means I recognize my need, that I can't do this. When we come with an attitude, I know what the word says, I can do this, or whatever it is, that's a form of pride. And therefore, the word, you may read the word, but it's not going to get in here where it counts. So receive with meekness the implanted word, not the red word, but the word that's implanted in your heart. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. That's not just talking about whether you're going to go to heaven. That word save is a word that means the complete package of all that God has for you. Spirit, soul, and body. Total wholeness, total healing, total deliverance. And it's the word, if you receive it, that's able to bring the fullness of that salvation to your soul. But there's more to that. So that's what we've been studying. Verse 22. But having received that word, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself and goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work. There's that word again. This one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, it's not enough to eat the word. You've got to exercise. Isn't that true with your body? If you just eat and you don't exercise at all. If you just because the purpose of the food is to give you strength so that you can grow and do the work that you were purposed to do. Oftentimes we use food for purposes for which God has not given it to us. Now God's made food to taste good so that first of all He knows us enough we won't eat it in most cases if it doesn't taste good. But he also gives it the taste good so that we can enjoy a process which is essential to our health and our well-being. But there are things I eat that I don't like the taste of because they're good for me. So the purpose of eating, essentially, is so that we become strong so that we can do the things we are called to do. But if I just eat the food, because what a lot of people eat is for other reasons. Comfort. It's called comfort food. We eat food sometimes, and the food we usually eat to comfort ourselves are foods that are not particularly good for us. It's interesting. We use substitutes for what God's given us. I'm, I'm going to meddle a little here. I just sense, I can, I, I can sense the spirit going in this direction. We use food. We have substitutes for what God's provided. You know, God's provided everything you need. 
He knows your needs. The Bible says he knows your needs before you know them, and before you ask him. One of the things we need is comfort, because the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about how he was comforted and how he gave comfort. So the Bible recognizes, God recognizes there's times we need comfort, but he has provided something ordained by him to provide that comfort. And food is not what he has ordained to provide for comfort. He's ordained food for our health and for our strength. What has he provided for comfort? Someone called the comforter. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave. For when I leave, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send to you the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. So we miss by 18 inches. We try to give comfort by going in here instead of looking down here. I understand I'm human just as you are. I've gotten phone, unexpected phone calls or something happens and I want to reach for the ice cream. Uh, chocolate's not what ice cream does it for me. It go, it's cold, it goes down easy, it'll fit anywhere because it's soft. And I'm believing that on the lambs, in the, on, the, on the marriage feast of the lamb, there's going to be ice cream there. But ice cream's not good for me. A little bit's fine. But it's not a source of comfort because the comfort doesn't last long. What I'm learning, because I'm still learning this, and when those situations happen, is not to reach for the freezer, the ice cream in the freezer, but to look instead to the comforter down in here. So if we eat food for the wrong reason, or if we eat food, food is part of God's equation by which our body grows and becomes strong. But the other half of the, of the equation is not just eating the food, it's exercising. A number of years ago, when I was still practicing law, I was going through a, a very physically challenging time. I wasn't sick, I was just worn out. And I just wasn't listening to my wife, I wasn't listening to the Spirit of God in me, and I was just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I came to one bed a day, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just exhausted. And so the second day, I'm, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm, something's wrong. So I go to the doctor, he runs blood tests, he says, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just exhausted. And I said, okay, well, what I need to do then is just spend a week in bed. He said, that's the worst thing you could do. I said, it feels like that's the best thing I could do. He said, the worst thing, because when you start doing nothing, is that right, Doc? And lie in bed and do nothing, what happens is your body stops functioning. If you do it long enough, your systems, because there's no need to do things. There's no need, and eventually your kidneys will stop functioning, because your body, all these systems of your body are in there to, to, to work so that they can produce the energy and process all the things that are necessary to process so your body can function and, and do activity. So, so the worst thing you do is spend a week in bed because you'll come away feeling worse. Now I've got to tell you, that's not the way I felt. I felt like to try to get up and start doing things was the worst thing I could do. But I decided to trust the word of my doctor. So I got out of bed and I started getting active. I started doing some things and, and, and it started going away and I started feeling better and stronger. The same is true spiritually. 
If all you do is take in the Word of God and 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 you don't apply it personally in your life, you'll become spiritually fat. Now, see, I can't see that with my eyes, so don't worry. You'll become spiritually fat and sluggish. And what James says eventually will happen is the word you've read will fade away. See, that word, it's like your food. There's only a limited time in which that food you eat can produce something for you. After a while, it, it either is eliminated or it goes somewhere in case you ever decide to exercise and use it. It's stored up. And that's all dieting is. Dieting is, is when, you re, when you reduce the amount of calories you're taking in so that your body has to draw on things you've eaten before to produce the energy and the strength. And so we may need to physically do that, but spiritually it's the other way around. We need to not only take the food in, but we need to begin to act on what that word says to do. Well, let's, let's go on. You must be chewing on it. Let's go over to chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now, he's not talking about works by which you're saved, but he does not have some corresponding action. So, reading the word will build faith. Faith, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But what James is teaching us there is we can get built up in our faith, but if you don't act on that faith, it will fade away. If that faith does not have some corresponding action, then what you believe today will not be as strong tomorrow. And if you don't act on it tomorrow, it will be weaker on two days from now, and eventually all it will be is a memory in your mind. See, many people try to act, instead of on faith, they're acting on things they've heard years ago. Or things they heard Brother So-and-so teach. Brother So-and-so's teaching, my teaching, should simply inspire you to get into the Word yourself and see that Word for yourself. But seeing it and reading it and meditating it and studying for yourself is only the first level. Then you've got to begin to apply those scriptures in your life. So let's read on. Can that faith save him? Verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart and be in peace, and be warmed and be filled, but you don't give them the things that they're needed for the body, what is a profit? In the same way also, faith by itself, if it does not have some works or corresponding action, is dead, which means it produces nothing. But if someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God, you do well. Look at this, I just mentioned this to you before. Even the demons believed and they shudder or tremble. So believing's not enough. Do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works 
is dead, or other translations say useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working together with his works. By works, his faith was made perfect. That word means mature or complete. It's when you act on the word that it now becomes, you fulfill it. It now be, you, it, you release it in your life. Let's use an example. Suppose you're reading your Bible in the morning and you come across a commandment where Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 13. I love, I command you. And you're meditating on it and it begins to dawn on you it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a requirement. It's not Jesus saying, this is what I'd like you to do. It is a commandment. And that word commandment explodes in your mind. The Spirit of God makes it real to you. It becomes a rhema word, which means spoken into your spirit. It becomes a rhema word. This is a commandment, a commandment from my Lord. And if Jesus is my Lord and it's a commandment, I have no alternative but to obey it. But I don't think I can love that part. But, but I'm commanded to love. And you, and you get all excited. Oh, God spoke to me this morning. This is his commandment to me is to love one another. You get ready and you get in your car and you go to work. And the person who works next to you, who smokes on their break, and you can smell it's all over their clothes. And you're sitting there and you're smelling the smoke. And not only that, when they speak, they swear and they say things that just are cringe you, you know, and your mind is rattling off scriptures and where they're wrong, and how they need to get their life straightened up, and all this stuff is going through your mind, and anger is beginning to rise up inside of you, and all these judgments about them is beginning to rise up inside of you, and the Spirit of God brings back to you the word you read that morning. This is my commandment. And your mind's, I don't want to. Don't you understand, God? This is a nasty person. And they smell. What our pastor Sam, our founding pastor, used to say, he says, cigarettes won't send you to hell. They'll just let you smell like you've been there. Yeah. <laughs> They're nasty, God. Bad disposition. I've been praying and asking you to move them away or move me away. I don't know why you haven't heard that prayer. And the word comes back to you. This is my commandment that you love. As I have loved you. And now I have a choice to make. I have God's word, which I've eaten this morning. And I have this situation where I have an opportunity to apply it. And it's up to me whether I take the word and choose to apply it in that situation or not. I'll let you in on a secret. If you've learned to go by how you feel, you won't do it. This is one of the reasons we go but walk by faith and not by sight. Because it doesn't feel like it's going to work. But Jesus didn't say, love them because it's going to change them. Love them. The only reason he said to love them is because he commanded us. And now that word that had me so excited this morning because God spoke to me 
now I have an opportunity and a choice to act on that word. And here's what will happen. If I react based on my feelings and my emotions and my way things look, and I'm saying, no, God, I can't do that, and I pull back, what will happen is that word that I ate this morning that was beginning to grow in me will now begin to die. I'm not, God's not angry at me. He's not going to stop loving me. But the word that I sowed in my heart this morning won't germinate. It'll begin to die. And, and, and I may have another opportunity tomorrow. I said, well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, tomorrow that word won't be quite so clear to me. It will have faded a little bit. But if instead I make a choice, and it's a choice, not an emotion. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is an act of your will. Otherwise, we could not be commanded to walk by faith. Just as love is not an emotion. You're not subject to the whims of your emotions of whether you love your wife or don't or you love your neighbor or not. Otherwise, it would not be fair to God to command us to love. Love is an act of your will. Faith is an act of your will. So you've got God's words you read this morning and you've got this nasty person. Do you just want to open your mouth and dice to pieces with God's word of how they're going to hell and if they don't get their life straightened out? And you've got a choice to make. Instead, if you choose, in spite of how you feel, in spite of the way things look, if you choose to say, God, this is what your word says, I don't feel like I can do this, I don't see how this is going to do any good, nevertheless, at your word, I will step out and step out in love. And you're going to have to provide the love that I'm going to step out in. I guarantee you that if you turn to that person and you begin to be willing to talk to them, the Spirit of God in you will begin to love on that person through you. And now what will begin to become real to you at a level that it never was before is that that love is in you because you'll watch God work through you because God cares about that person as much as He cares about you. And you'll see God begin to work, work, work through you because you stepped out first. And then the feelings and the emotions will begin to flow. And what will happen is in that moment, you'll have grown in another level to be closer to the image of Christ. And that's our calling and our future. Well, let's stop here for today and next week we will finish that and get into there's a third thing we're going to learn about how that you grow how you grow up there's eating the word receiving the word there's exercising the word and there's at least one other thing that we're going to get into